Hi everyone, welcome to Story Collider's third and final series of stories of COVID-19. This week we're bringing you two stories about the struggle to find balance during the COVID-19 pandemic, whether it's as a scientist, a mother, or all of the above. Our first story today is from neuroscientist Xiaoxi Gu. It was recorded in September 2021 at QED in Queens, New York. So um, I work at Mount Sinai, so it's just a regular day. I was walking back from the office. I was passing this ER building on Madison Avenue. And instead of seeing just like ambulances, like I saw this massive amounts of news trucks. And I was just wondering like, what's going on here, right? Something is off. I feel like there's this chilling sensation crawling on my back. But I couldn't tell. Uh, I went home, like, you know, had regular dinner, but then quickly found out the next day that that was the first ever COVID patient that was actually, uh, you know, taken into the ER at Mount Sinai. So things went down south really quickly from there because before I realized it, my uh, four-year-old at the time had to stop going to school because the daycare was shut down. So we had a whole week of just trying to homeschool. Nobody knows what's going on, right? And I remember clearly March 20th, uh, 2020, this particular date, because it was the date that uh, New York State actually issued the official lockdown offer. Uh, Sorry, not an offer, an order. (laughs) It's an offer that nobody wants. But I remember so clearly because it was actually my daughter's birthday. (laughs) So, yes, everyone has had at least one birthday during lockdown already. But she was among the earliest ones. So that sucked, right? You know, I had so much guilt because we had to cancel everything, of course. This huge party we had planned. And uh, we're quickly brainstorming what can we do to make it up for her. So on the day of her birthday... She woke up walking into the living room and she couldn't believe her eyes. There is this Christmas level amount of presents everywhere in the living room. It's a tiny living room, but still can hold a lot of presents, right? So the things that she requested, no problem, but we threw in extras. Sexy Barbie dolls in um, nurse uniforms, why not? Also, I've always been curious about the sexy scientist idea. So I really wanted to try it on her, and I bought some sexy scientist dolls. (laughs) She responded very well to that, because actually she's a very girly girl, and she loved all the gender stereotype toys. Success. (laughs) It wasn't a disaster after all for her. But for us, you know, all the people that were working, the parents, all the professionals, of course, this initial, you know, sort of inconvenience really quickly turned into real panic and depression. I don't know if you all remember, but I remember very clearly, only a few days after that, we were told 
to uh, stop going to the office and very quickly to uh, shut down our labs and all the research. That was really, really devastating for everyone, right? Especially for, you know, for those who consider their work to be part of their identity. Um, I was trying to cheer my team members up by having daily Zoom check-ins. Remember the early days, people were having like coffee times on Zoom. Uh, Zoom was still so, you know, such a novelty. Um, but we, we did that. But then it didn't really help because I can tell everyone was just sinking, right? But what, what else can I do? I was, I was out of ideas because I was in the same boat with them sinking. And there was this very sort of, you know, uh, moment of reckoning of who I was or what I was at that moment. This one day was, again, just a few days after, after the lockdown order, I was, I think, like brushing my teeth and I just looked up in the mirror and I saw this woman that I no longer recognize. She had crazy hair. I mean, short hair, you can sort of get by a little bit, but <laughs> it can still look pretty crazy. Um, I wasn't wearing makeup at all. And I was mostly wearing PJ. <laughs> and I actually quickly lost a lot of weight. Right? Believe it or not, I can still lose 10, 20 pounds in a few days or weeks. So I couldn't recognize the person. And that was me. So at the moment... I just all of a sudden had this thought, I must do something. I can't just wait. I can't just sink together with everybody else. So what is that magic I have as a scientist? Well, the only magic I have, I think, is to be able to do science. So my day job before COVID and even also now is actually to do biological research on mental disorders and specifically the brain basis of mental disorders. So, of course, because all the in-person research was shut down, we couldn't do anything, right, in person. We can't use MRIs to scan people's brains. We can't really look into your brain with any other technique. So I thought that it would be a brilliant idea if we had just launched a online study to track people's mental health uh, conditions across the entire nation. And no one really approved my idea, but anyway, I went ahead and did it. <laughs> it was self-funded, uh, meaning that it was not coming out of any uh, grants, any federal grants that we have. Not from my personal savings account, I can assure you. <laughs> but it was from other funding sources that I had access to. So we decided to launch the study um, to track over a thousand Americans across the entire nation, geographically, racially, very diverse. And we're going to measure their sort of mental health symptoms every week for a total of two months. Okay, why two months? Because we thought, for sure, this thing is going to end within two months. <laughs> and we launched the study. So that was like late March-ish. We quickly launched the study. Like, that was the fastest I've ever been, right? We launched the study in early April. 
And the end date was supposed to be June 2020. <laughs> so anyway, um, that really, that project, right, really held people together because all of a sudden people find a thing, right, they can hold on to again, you know. It's, they have a routine back, they have their identity back. Uh, and, you know, I'm one of them. I felt exactly the same way as my team members. So as I was working nonstop, uh, launching this project, collecting data, doing actually a very large scale study on mental health uh, and the impact of COVID, I was also taking care of my four-year-old at the time. And so it was already double the workload. And of course, as any kind of married working mom, I totally ignored my husband <laughs> during this process. I was like, where's that dude? Um, and, but again, I felt to this day very guilty because he suddenly started to have sickness symptoms. He started to cough and muscle aches, lost his taste and smell. Okay, check, check, check everything, right? So I tried to, when I realized that, I tried to get him um, to the hospital and to get a COVID test. But we were so early in the process. If you remember, early, you know, April-ish, there was no test available. Basically, you have to be so sick enough to be end up in the OR in order to get a test. So we couldn't do that. He was, it was still manageable. Uh, we couldn't really separate, of course. Um, and we didn't really know what it was for sure. That was the most confusing part. Um, but of course, month later, uh, we tested him for antibodies and he indeed had COVID. Okay, quickly, fast forward until um, June 2020. By this time, we completed the study. It was a success. Uh, we had very high retention rate. So most of the subjects actually completed the study over the course of two months. And um, I'm actually very glad to tell you that we had some very interesting findings that just got published earlier this month. <laughs> yeah, so Erin said no uh, learning materials. <laughs> but I think the findings are probably not going to be too surprising for you. I'll tell you just a few sort of quick uh, take-home messages. So one is that we found uh, COVID had different impact on people based on their identity, of course. And guess what? It's really kind of the usual suspects. One is uh, gender. Women had it harder. Okay. <laughs> Somebody doesn't believe that. <laughs> At a national level, uh, women reported more severe symptoms of depression and anxiety uh, during those two months. We also found out that people who were single had more mental health symptoms. Uh, surprise. <laughs> and those who were... Uh, you know, have a racial minority or have lower income were also impacted more. So this, I think, really just pr proved what we know about mental health and our socioeconomic status and 
demographic variables in general. But at a group level, what was the most sort of uh, convincing message and was a really finding I was so happy to see was that across time, right, regardless of all of our individual differences, across time, we actually showed a very good level of resilience, meaning that, you know, most people managed to adapt to the COVID situation. So our anxiety and depression levels were the highest at the beginning of April and actually started to decline as a group, you know, by end of June, despite the fact that COVID was actually becoming worse, right? There were m more waves, stronger waves that we've experienced so far. So the moral of the story is that I think I felt like I was truly a participant of my own study because my feelings were really, really consistent with what we found in this particular study. And I think uh, we can, you know, there's so much we can tell about humanity, right, from the story. But uh, there's a reason that why humans still exist. That's our resilience. Thank you. That was Xiao Siku. Xiaosi is one of the foremost researchers in the area of computational psychiatry. Her research examines the neural and computational mechanisms underlying human beliefs, decision-making, and social interaction. She completed her postdoctoral training in computational psychiatry at Virginia Tech and the Wellcome Trust Center for Neuroimaging at the University College of London, and during her time in London, she founded the world's first computational psychiatry course. Before rejoining Mount Sinai, she held faculty positions at the University of Texas, Dallas, and UT Southwestern Medical Center. Shalsi is currently an assistant professor in psychiatry and neuroscience and a principal investigator at the Freeman Brain Institute and the Addiction Institute at Mount Sinai. Before we continue on today, I just want to remind everyone that if you want to support stories like the ones we're sharing today, if you, like all of us at the Story Collider, believe in the power these stories have to change our understanding of how science happens and who it belongs to, you can sign up to support the Story Collider on Patreon. Just go to patreon.com slash the Story Collider. We so appreciate the support of our patrons, especially during this unpredictable time. You can also check out storycollider.org for more information on upcoming shows and workshops. We have outdoor shows coming up this fall in New York, St. Louis, D.C., Boston, and more. And no matter where you are, we have live stream tickets available for other upcoming shows. Our next story today is from Stacy Bader Curry. It was recorded in February 2021 at her home in Maine. It's February 2020 when my phone rings with a number I don't recognize and I answer it. I always answer my phone. I'm a real estate broker and 99% of the time these phone calls are, hi, it's Amanda from the warranty department for a car I don't even own. But I hold out hope for what that 1% of the calls are going to be. And this time I think it might be it. It's a man. He says he's from Saudi Arabia, 
and he's an architect and he's entrusted his son to purchase a pied a terre for him. And now that he's finally come and stayed there, he's not very impressed with this multi-million dollar apartment. So he's wondering if I could help him sell it and find a new, larger place with a better view. And what makes me really skeptical about this call is why is he calling me? Why isn't he calling one of those million dollar brokers on TV? I am a small potatoes broker. I am like the fingerling of brokers. But I um, I do some research and the property records and his website, it all seems to check out. So I go to meet him and he opens the door and I am flooded with relief. He's definitely an architect. I could tell by his eyeglasses and he's lovely and I am super well prepared. And by the end of the week, I have a signed exclusive agreement to sell his apartment and a hint of a promise to help him buy a new one. That night, my husband congratulates me and he leans over to kiss me in bed. And I ruin the mood by dropping those four little words, we need to talk. You see, my husband and I, we had been going back and forth with this big decision. Should we get our apartment ready for the spring market to sell and move to Maine, which is where he was working and reverse commuting? And there were a lot of reasons why we should move to Maine, cost of living. And we had a seven-year-old daughter at the time, and she's very athletic and outdoorsy. And Maine would be a really healthy place for her to grow up. And really, my husband had struggled so much in his career. I wanted this for him. He had struggled um, for health reasons. He had an autoimmune disease, and he had to be hospitalized several times. And each time he was hospitalized for a long-term stay, he was let go from a job and he would pivot. And he has two graduate degrees from Ivy League institutions and he would find new jobs. And finally, he found this great job with a small company in New York in the alternative energy sector. But then his health took a precarious turn for the worse and he needed an emergency organ transplant. And when he was hospitalized with that, he was let go. And through a tremendous amount of grit and luck, he had landed this new job developing utility-scale solar projects, but in Maine. But I had a career too, and I too had struggled. I had really struggled to balance motherhood with career. I had been married before, and I had always worked. I started working when I was 13, and I worked at two different restaurants to pay for college, and a few years out of school, I had a great job with an international investment bank on the trading floor. And we were taking companies like E-Trade and Amazon Public, and it was really exciting. But then when I was 27, I got pregnant. And this was in 1998. We didn't have Sheryl Sandberg telling women to lean in. I had my judgmental conservative mother-in-law and lactation consultants scaring me. And logistically, I didn't even know how I could work. I was working 14-hour days in my job and we would need live in help. We lived in a one-bedroom apartment. I didn't even know where the baby would fit. So I quit my job and I would go on to have three children by the time I was 30. And I always really wanted to get back to work, but I couldn't figure how to do it. And so when my youngest child started kindergarten, I applied to grad school. 
And I got in and I went my first semester and I did really well, but the rigors of the coursework put such a strain on my marriage that I quit. And I waited a few years and I found a less competitive program and I got in and this time I lasted two semesters and when the rigors of my coursework put such a strain on my marriage, I filed for divorce. And then I had to work. And real estate is a really good career for women looking to transition back into the workforce because all you have to do is pass a test and then you could start selling. And so for 10 years, I had worked on building this real estate career and taking care of my children and you know, my own self. And finally, by 2020, I felt like I was running at full steam. My business was thriving now with the architect's business. I was going to have the best year ever of my career. My three older kids were all accepted into the college of their choice and thriving. And I felt like I had it all. And my husband agreed that I had too much going on for me in New York. He could continue to reverse commute for his job and we would stay. And that was in February of 2020. And then in March, our entire world changed as did everyone else's. And my husband immediately set up a home office in my oldest child's bedroom who was still away at college. And I brought my laptop out to the kitchen table and started looking up art projects for my seven-year-old to do and cooking all our meals. And because of my husband's um, health status, we could not allow anyone else in our home to help us. And so really, it's not like my husband said, you woman, you cook and clean. It's just that he was developing 10 solar projects and he was on Zoom calls from eight in the morning till eight at night. And we needed to eat. We needed our bathrooms clean. We needed laundry done. I had a son and senior in high school who was depressed and didn't want to log on to his classes. I had my daughters calling me from college, trying to navigate how to live with roommates during COVID. And I just had to pivot to being a full-time mom. And it's not like I even had any business to tend to. Real estate market in New York was dead. Um, real estate brokers were prohibited from showing apartments in person. And slowly, one by one, all of my clients decided to take their apartments off the market or to, they didn't want to buy in New York City now. They wanted to look at the suburbs. And even the architect decided to take his apartment off the market. By June, New York City was a really tough place for us to live. Um, we live in a very old building on the edge of East Harlem, and our building was being repointed. Um, it had started before COVID, so it was covered in scaffolding and black netting, and we had workers outside our window with little mini jackhammers drilling away. We also lived very close to a hospital, so we had ambulances um, punctuating our days and nights, and we are close to Central Park, but they put up COVID tents right at the entrance to the park on our block. And going to the park itself felt like this high stakes game of Frogger. It felt impossible to keep six feet away from people. And so by the middle of June, I decided I needed to end the longest relationship of my life with New York City. And um, in the greatest real estate feat of my career, 
I figured out a way to swap our old dark apartment in New York for a little farmhouse by the sea in Southern Maine. And so in September 1st, we moved and I didn't want to completely let go of my real estate career. I had spent too long building this business and reputation and I had one client left. She figured now was as good a time as any, maybe her only chance to buy in New York. And she was buying a one bedroom apartment on the Upper West Side. And I did this whole transaction remotely. I viewed apartments with her over FaceTime and spent many hours on the phone with her. And finally, the walkthrough was scheduled for October. And I knew I owed it to her to be there in person for that. There were no longer any flights from Portland to New York. So I decided I would drive. And I rented a car because we only had one. And when I showed up at the um, rental desk at the airport, there was absolutely no one there. It was a total dystopian scene. And the guy at the counter took pity on me and he upgraded my little budget rental car to an Escalade. And um, it felt pretty good to be driving back to the city in this big tank of a car. But then when I got there, it was really hard to go from a place with a population density of 41 people per square mile to 27,000 people. And I just rushed to my meeting, the walkthrough, and it was everything was fine with the apartment. It took about 20 minutes. And then on my walk back to the car, I just, you know, I love New York and there was so much I wanted to see and do and eat, but it just didn't feel safe. So I got back in the Escalade and started driving home and there, it had started raining. There was a ton of traffic and it took me three hours to get to the first rest stop in Connecticut. And by that time I really needed gas and I really needed to go to the bathroom and there was nowhere to park. So I got the gas first and I don't know if you've ever tried to line up an Escalade with a gas pump, but it's very challenging. And so I, um, I had to stretch the hose out really far and when I went to pull it out of the gas tank, I got sprayed with gasoline. Great. So I go and I park the car and I put on my mask and I'm about to go into the rest stop when a man walks past my car and he is coughing, he's hacking, and he's not wearing a mask. And so I just stay in my car and I watch all the people going in and out of this rest stop and about one out of every 10 per- people are not wearing a mask. And there's very few cases of COVID in Maine. I don't want to be the person who had to go pee at a rest stop in Connecticut and infected Mainers with COVID. And so when life gives you an Escalade, you should just go pee on that roomy third seat. I had my empty Starbucks cup. And so I climbed back there and I took off my pants completely and I started to pee in the cup. And I completely underestimated the size of my bladder in relation to that cup. And I could tell it was about to overflow. And I looked around for something to mop up the urine with so it wouldn't get on the leather seats of the Escalade. And all I could find were my pants. And so I used that to catch the overflow. And when I was done, I had a full Starbucks cup of pee, a pair of wet pants, and I was covered in urine and gasoline. And that's how I had to drive home. 
And uh, the last thing I did before I left the rest stop was um, hook up my phone so I could listen to the vice presidential debate. And I just had to listen to it. I couldn't see it. I couldn't see the fly. And what it sounded like to me was Kamala Harris just kept getting interrupted. That just felt really relatable. For the past year in COVID, all I have felt is that I am interrupted. There has been no flow to my days. It's just constant interruptions to tend to my children, to my husband, to our home. And um, I know this has been the brunt for a lot of women, women who have to work full time and care for children and care for their homes. I honestly, I don't know how they're doing it. I am so grateful my three older kids are the age they are right now because I don't know how I would do it with multiple younger children. And now I am here in Maine, a state with no industry, very little jobs. And um, I know I'm not going to be able to commute back and forth and be a remote real estate broker in New York. I'm going to have to give up this career and figure be another one of these women who leaves the workforce. And, you know, I have the LSAT book sitting on my desk. Maybe the third time is the charm for grad school for me. Um, I just, this interruption hasn't ended though yet, and I don't know when it will. Thank you. That was Stacy Bader Curry. Stacy is a writer and storyteller who lives in Maine. She's an eight-time Moss Slam winner, including a Grand Slam, and has performed on PBS's Stories from the Stage and many podcasts. The Story Collider is so grateful to Shalsi and Stacy for sharing their stories with us. The Story Collider is also very grateful for the support of Science Sandbox, a Simons Foundation initiative dedicated to engaging everyone with the process of science. This podcast is produced by me, Erin Barker, Executive Director and Co-Founder of the Story Collider with assistance from Story Collider's program director, Nissa Greenberg, and senior podcast editor, Jun Chen. Special thanks goes out to Story Collider's board and the rest of our staff, including managing director, Anne-Marie Lonsdale, science advisory fellow, Edith Gonzalez, operations manager, Lindsay Cooper, marketing manager, Nikisha Roberts-Washington, and our intern, Jamie Banks, without whom none of this would be possible. The stories featured in today's episode were produced by Paula Croxon and Christine Gentry, respectively. Our theme music was composed by Eva Gertz of the Fulton Street Music Group. We'll be back next Friday with the last installment of the series. Until then, stay safe, wash your hands, wear a mask, get vaccinated if you can, love each other. Thanks for listening. <laughs>